Good morning. We're going to be working in uh, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to end that chapter, uh, Lord willing, this week. You know, when God created this world, he, he created this world, and it was, it was beautiful. Um, day after day, when God created this world, he said it was good, it was good, it was good. And then God created humanity. He created man, and he said, it's not good. Before there was sin ever in this world, God said something was not right, and he said it was not good that man be alone, and he created a woman uh, for man. And there was, there was peace, and there was hope, and there was harmony in, in this garden with Adam and Eve and the animals. There was harmony between humanity and nature. Uh, there was harmony between humanity and God. There was harmony between humanity and humanity. And God created humanity dependent, dependent upon him, not autonomous, but dependent upon God. They needed God for every breath. They needed God for everything in their lives, but they were also created dependent upon counsel. They needed to be counseled. They needed to be taught. And not only were they dependent and dependent upon counsel, but they were going to be molded and shaped by the counsel that they listened to. So whoever had their ear had their mind, whoever had their mind had their heart, whoever had their heart had their lives. Whoever is counseling you in some ways is controlling you. And before a fall, it was absolutely fine. And then chaos came in because another counselor came in. Another counselor got Adam and Eve's ear, got control of their mind, got control of their hearts and got control of their lives. And that, that other counselor got them to doubt the word of God and got them to doubt the goodness of God and got them to doubt the authority of God. And, and you've heard the story before. Immediately after they fell, they felt shame in their lives. They felt exposed. They, they, they questioned themselves. They, they felt rejected on a horizontal relationship. And what they did was they tried to cover up that shame. And in covering up that shame, they covered up things externally, thinking that was going to solve it. But the shame was not external. The shame was deeply internal. It was a radical change that had occurred. And not only did they feel shame, but they felt fear. When they used to run towards God, now they're running away from God. They hear God coming and they run away and hide, which is kind of crazy. You can't hide from an ever-present, all-knowing God. But that's what sin does. Sin deceives, it distorts, it disturbs, it destroys us. And the shame that they tried to cover up, the fear that was running and hiding, causing them to run and hide, now leads to guilt. The guilt that was weighing heavy upon their lives. They know that they have done wrong. And when they stand before the holy God, they know they do not have an answer. And what they do is blame. They shift responsibility to others. And the creation led to chaos in this world. But out of that chaos, God made a way where there seemed to be no way. What God did was he came to them. 
See, salvation has always been about God coming to us rather than us coming to God. God came to Adam and Eve. He found them in the midst of their sin. He found them in the midst of their shame. He found them in the midst of their fear. He found them in the midst of their guilt. And he says, where are you? And what God did for Adam and Eve is he covered their nakedness. I I believe it was a lamb. We see in Genesis that he he took a an animal, and he took the skin off of that animal. He killed the animal to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to cover them. And God says, I'm making a relationship with you that through the seed of a woman, I am going to bring not a lamb that I've killed here in the garden. I'm going to bring my perfect lamb to you. My son will come through this line. That there is only one way of salvation. You don't deserve any. I'm giving you one. It's going to come by the precious blood of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But right from the garden, there have been two radical ways of trying to get to God. Adam and Eve sought their own way to get to God, and it failed. Their son afterwards sought, Cain sought his way to God, in his own way, and it failed. Throughout the Old Testament, what we find is that people have sought their way to God to come to God by their own works and their own ability, and it failed constantly. And when it failed, God offered grace, amazing grace. And that grace, I want to forgive you. I want to heal you. I want to transform you. I want to bring you into a relationship with me. That's what God has said right from Genesis all the way through. And the beauty of that gospel message is grace. God reached out to us. He initiated. He initiated reconciliation. And the reconciliation that God offers is always costly. It was costly to that animal in the garden. It was costly to the animals, the millions of animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. And it was ultimately costly to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man, lived the life, a perfect life which we could never live. See, the law is required of every single one of you. You are required to live perfectly righteous in order to have a relationship with God. The writer to the Hebrews said, without holiness, no one will ever see God. See, you need to be perfect. But Christ did that for you. He lived from the womb to the grave, perfect and righteous. Every thought that he had, every word that he spoke, every action that he did was in perfect conformity to his Father in heaven and perfect conformity to the law. Because I can't even get through an hour doing that. And God not only lived righteous for us, but then for the penalty for every one of your sins, he bore that upon himself on the cross. That the wrath that God has for our sin, God poured out on his son for you and for me if you trust in him. And that when when Christ died on the cross, he dealt with your two major issues, your condemnation, the guilt that was heavy upon you, and then the contamination, the sin that is heavy in your life. God dealt with that in one person, his son, on a cross for you and for me. 
And God says, I've given you a way of salvation, a way of freedom. Why would you ever go back? Paul has been passionate about speaking this gospel message to his people. You remember Paul came to this town of Galatia. By the sovereign work of God, he got sick, terribly sick, and he needed to find some rest in Galatia. And while he was there, what happened? God used that sickness and those people that were there to give Paul the opportunity to speak the gospel message out to them. And people were saved. He evangelized them. People were transformed and changed. And churches were planted. People were just going out and being multiplied by the gospel message. And then Paul left to go on his missionary journey. And when Paul left, false teachers came in. Kind of like in the Garden of Eden. When when God was there and counseling Adam and Eve, life was so much greater. But then all of a sudden, another counselor comes in and gets their ear and gets their mind and gets their heart and gets their lives. That's exactly what happened here with the Judaizers. In the book of Galatians, Paul had given them the gospel and then he left and now a new person comes in. Tim Keller has an interesting way of summarizing the book of Galatians. I just want to give you these points. The the Galatians or the Judaizers that were coming to the Galatians said this. Three points, I want you to hear them. Point number one, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anybody in this room that would deny that? I would hope not. Point number two, though, you must obey the law of God. Point number three, as a result, you will be saved. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, obey the word of God, as a result, you will be saved. The gospel is radically different. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one. You will be saved. Two. And as a result, you'll obey the word of God. Three. That switch of where you put the law changes the gospel. Because if I have to add my works to the perfect work of Christ... Now it comes down to me and what I do. But if it is Christ alone, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am saved, and then Christ, even the obedience of the law, is Christ living in me, the hope of glory, then all the glory goes to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers tell us that beliefs and obedience go together and they result in your salvation. Paul said the belief and salvation go together and it results in your obedience. Paul has been using this message and he has been attacking this lie and this distortion with ferocity, if you've been reading Galatians. He is calling them foolish for going back. Going back to the thing that's going to damn you. Going back to the thing that's going to imprison you. Paul is much like a counselor. As you were, if you were here last week, we were reading at the uh, middle of chapter 4. Look with me in verse 19 of chapter 4. Paul said this, 
my little children. It's the only time in all of Pauline writings that he actually used this phrase, my little children. He, he, he envisions himself in, in the maternity room or the birthing chamber. He, he envisions himself there as his children are born, holding his children, his spiritual children, in his hands. And he's saying, my little children. I, I just drove my daughter down to Florida. It's a long week, I tell you. Um, drove her down to Florida and came back. I'm dropping my daughter off at college. And this is my child. I, I would not want her distorted. I do not want her picked apart. I want her cared for. That's what Paul is saying. My little children, I am so concerned for you. Look, he says, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I told you that the passion of Tim and Doug and myself is that every one of you, that we will see Christ not only in you, but Christ formed in you, that you are transformed to look more and more like the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I wish I could be with you and present with you, verse 20, with you now so I could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And you remember last week I said he, he, he was so confused, so disturbed, so discouraged at where they were going, and he wanted them to find faith in Christ again. This section that we're going to look at this morning, some say is probably one of the hardest sections in the, in the New Testament. I think it's pretty easy. I hope I'm going to make it easy for you this morning. But the background of what I've just said leads us into this section. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul begins by saying, I need you to concentrate. I need you to really think deeply. I want you to roll this around in your mind. I want you to think about the fact that you are saying that you need to keep the law. Now, you remember the Judaizers had come in and basically said, you have to do certain things in order to be saved. Keep the Jewish law. You, in essence... You as a Gentile have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. That's what it's saying. Gentile, do the Jewish things and you will be saved. And Paul says, I want you to listen to the law. I want you to really deeply understand that if you're really thinking that you can follow this law, you must keep it perfectly. James had said... um, If you stumble on even just one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. See, if you go down the path of saying, I'm going to do the right thing to earn my salvation, you must keep it perfectly. All the ceremonial laws, all the right laws, and including the moral laws. And you can't only just do it externally, 
You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you say that you haven't committed adultery, but if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you say you have not murdered, but if you're angry in your heart, you have committed murder. You can't simply keep the law externally. You must keep it internally. Perfect for the rest of your life in order to be saved. You can't do it. Hold your finger there and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is making an argument about keeping the law. Now, some would say, well, what's the purpose of the law? If I can't be saved by the law, if I can't be changed by the law, what's the purpose of this law? Look with me in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known what sin was. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the law, produced in me a kind of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What Paul is saying is this, that the law that God gave is holy, it's righteous, it's good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law was never meant to save you. The law was never meant to make you better. The law was simply to expose your desperate need for God. The law does something it exposes. When when you read the Bible and you read it and you deeply and honestly look at yourself, I, I sometimes I look at that word and it's like, man, I am such a mess. I, I look at the thoughts that I have, the attitudes of my heart. As I read it, it just exposes how bad I really am at times. And, and the guilt that exposes over and over again as you read the word points to grace. Because on the very next page of the scriptures, that law produces this exposing of my sin, but the grace points me to Christ. The beauty of the gospel over and over again from from the Garden of Eden all the way throughout. The law exposes me. The law exacerbates me. As I'm driving on the road to Florida, you see the speed limit sign says 70. But there's something within me that says 75 feels better, right? And, and, and then it says 50, and I think 55 is better in this section. There is something within me that the law is there, but it exacerbates something within me. I don't want to follow the law. See, what the law does, it exposes me. The law ex- exacerbates the struggles that I'm having, but the law also executes me. The law brings me to the end of myself, to my self-trust, my self-righteousness, to my self-determination, to my self-confidence, to my self-effort. It brings me to the end of myself. So in that, the law is holy. It's righteous. It is so very good. So what do we do? If I brought to the end of myself, the law can't acquit me. 
can't make me righteous in God's sight, and the law can't change me. I've got a legal problem, I'm condemned. I've got a moral problem, I'm contaminated. What is the answer? The answer is Christ. In Romans chapter 3, Paul said this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness that because of his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Justified. What a precious word. Justified means that I can stand before God righteous, that he looks at me as though I lived the perfect and righteous life of Christ. Justified. By his grace. Not by my works, not by my ability, not by my way to earn it. I don't deserve this. God has given it to me. Precious. As a gift. It's freely offered to everyone here as a gift. It's through redemption. You are enslaved if you're outside of Christ and Christ wants to set you free. Free in Christ. God put forward. God was the one who did this. As a propitiation, the line says, it means that the wrath that God had was removed from you because of Christ and Christ's work alone. And it came by blood. Just like the animal in the garden, it came by blood being spilt. Paul says, if you really want salvation by the law, you must keep the law perfectly. And you can't. You can't even keep the speed limit perfectly. You can't do it. And the I can't should lead to who can Christ. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. So Paul says, for those of you who want to be under the law, do you know what the law says? I need you to concentrate. I need you to hear what the law truly says. The law truly says you need to keep it perfectly. Then Paul goes and does a human illustration, historical illustration. He says in verse 21, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. I think the reason why he did this was this, that the Judaizers that had come into the Gentiles had said, you cannot really be a child of God unless you're a child of Abraham, and you can't be a child of Abraham unless you keep the law. Okay? So, what Paul says is this. You really want to be a child of Abraham? Yes, but Abraham had how many sons? Two sons. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free. Okay, so now, let me tell you about a dysfunctional family. You want to know a dysfunctional family? Here it is. Abram, this guy, was called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And God says, I am going to give you a precious promise. I'm going to give you an heir, and I want you to look up in the sky. You see all the stars up there? All these stars, if you could even count them, your number will be greater. Abraham believed God's promise, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith, righteousness. 
Abraham was older at the time. I think he was 75 years old at the time. His wife was 65. It's pretty old to have a child, but they believe God. But then now, years go by, no child. And what they decided to do, actually Sarah said to Abram, apparently God's promise is not happening, so we should help him out. I can't get pregnant, but my servant here is young, she can. So now what I want you to do is I want you to go and be with this servant and maybe she'll bear a child for me. Now, as crazy as it sounds, this is part of the culture. You have to look back at their culture. A slave was counted as part of the family, so a child born to this slave would be counted as part of this family. So Sarah could count that as her own child if her slave has a child. So what does Abraham do? He listens to his wife He listens to the wrong counsel. He forgets the promise of God. He goes to bed with this woman and he gets her pregnant. And now we have a child of a slave woman. The dysfunction continues because now the slave woman starts looking at the uh, Sarah and she starts to laugh at Sarah, pick on Sarah. You couldn't get pregnant. And Sarah, getting angry, says, get rid of that slave woman. Get her out of here. You talk about dysfunction. So now she leaves, and then God says, I want you to go back. Submit to your owner. Submit to Sarah. And for 14 years, this child continues to grow. And Abram thinks that his promise, God's promise, is going to come through this child. But then God comes to Abram and says, I'm giving you a new name. That is a son biologically, by nature, with a young woman. There was nothing supernatural about this. I want to give you a new son, a son by your own wife, a son that has to be supernatural. When Abram was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, they brought a son into their home, Isaac the son of promise, the son that God had promised decades before. Two sons, a son by a slave woman and a son by a free. Let's keep going with the illustration. Verse 23. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Just normal, you know, a man going into a woman and she gets pregnant. Nothing supernatural about that. While the son of the free woman over here was born through a promise. How many 100-year-old men and 90-year-old women are giving birth today? If it happened, it would have to be supernatural. It would have to be miraculous. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. So now he's going to give you the interpretation. So he moves from, I need you to concentrate, to the covenants. I need you to hear that there are two covenants here. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And one, Hagar, is the Mount Sinai in Arabia. And if you know your Old Testament, what happened at Mount Sinai? They received the law of God. 
There was fear. There was anger. There was wrath that was there. But they received the law of God. You couldn't even touch the mountain or you would be destroyed. And that law, that executing law, that exacerbating law, that exposing law was what they received at Mount Sinai. She corresponds to present Jerusalem. At that time, what Paul was saying is this, that if you're trusting in the law to save you, it's present Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem that is above, that's heaven, is free. She is our mother over here. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear fruit. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Two covenants. So in essence, what had occurred was this. Abraham and Sarah thought that they could do God's work in God's way, in their own way, I should say. And they were purely going according to the flesh, natural matter of uh, procreation. Ishmael was born and was motivated by Abraham and Sarah's lack of faith in God and forgetting his promises. But then we have a, a child born of promise over here, a child that was born through the supernatural work of God and God alone. That leads to two cities. There's a city on earth or there's a city in heaven. Slave, free. Flesh, promise. Earth, heaven. Which one are you choosing? Present Jerusalem was, the law was given at Sinai. It was the highest expression in the temple worship. The Jerusalem above is heaven where there is no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more fears. He quotes from Isaiah 54, and these words were to cheer the people, saying that I want to give you a greater fulfillment found in God. So I need you to concentrate. There are two covenants, there are two cities. There are two children. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, so it is now also. Let's go back to the dysfunction. So, the slave woman Hagar picked on Sarah because she couldn't have a child. Then their son Ishmael picked on Isaac when he was born, ridiculed him, demeaned him, put him down. Now, I feel bad in some ways for Ishmael. Ishmael thought he was the son of promise, and he realized he wasn't. He he realized he wasn't truly loved in the same way that Isaac was going to be. And what he did was in anger he attacked. We've been seeing that since the Garden of Eden. We saw that with Cain and Abel. Cain, the son of the slave woman, attacked Abel, the son of promise, killed his brother. We see Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament acting according to their own law and attacking Joseph. You remember when we preached through that. 
Jesus was attacked by Judaizers, uh, by Pharisees, and now Paul is being attacked by Pharisees. Those that will fulfill or seek to fulfill the law will always be insecure, they will always be fearful, and they will always attack those that are in Christ. Why are people being martyred all around this world today? See, we have the privilege of sitting in this church in peace, relative security. We have no fear. But there are brothers and sisters around this world because they are claiming the gospel. Children of the slave woman are attacking them today. Some of them are going to lose their lives today because they're trusting in Christ alone. So there are two children. One child is a born of a promise. The other child is born of the spirit. Promise and spirit. The other child is born of the flesh. The question is, which one are you? Paul said this, but just as, verse 29, just at the time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So now also... But now what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son shall not inherit the son, uh, with the son of the free woman. What God did was he said, this family unit needs to leave. They're attacking you and you need to leave. The dysfunction that Abraham and Sarah brought into their family because they failed to trust God led to the separation of this family and this family. Anytime we try to do something in our own ability, it will lead to dysfunction and despair and destruction over and over again. So Paul's argument here is this. Brothers, you're not children of a slave woman, but of a free woman. So I guess I, have, I ask you, you have a choice this morning. The choice is this. You could be free because of the person work of Christ alone. Free from the curse of the law. You could be free from the curse of Adam. You could be free from spiritual death. You could be free from fear of death that if I die today, I'm not afraid of where I'm going. You could have that same assurance. You could be free from condemnation. You could be free from the power of sin in your life. You could be free from the authority of Satan in your life. You could be free to inherit everything that Christ has earned and earned it for you. You could be free for that. Or you can go back to your own ways. Augustine said this, that, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So how do people try to cover up over their shame and their fear and their guilt today? Intellectualism, they get another degree. Wisdom, they get more books. Materialism, they get more possessions. Hedonism or pleasure, they snort some coke, they get drunk. What, what do they do? They are looking for something to cover the shame in their lives. And it's futile. 
Because if you're seeking meaning or purpose or freedom from anything on an earthly level, it will enslave you. God said through Jeremiah, be appalled, O heaven. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the living water, and they've tried to hewn out their own cisterns broken cisterns that can't hold water. What we've been doing from the beginning is that we've been seeking to do God's work in our way and it fails every time. Augustine said that whatever you go after to try to cover up your shame and guilt on an earthly level will leave you hungry. You add another zero to your bank account and it's not good enough. You snort another line of coke, it's not good enough. You sleep with another person, it's not good enough. I need more. It will leave you hungry, starving, famished, ravenous, unsatisfied. It will leave you empty and unfulfilled and you cannot do it. When you try to find covering for your shame, your fear and your guilt through earthly means, it will not only leave you hungry, but it will leave you enslaved. You think you're free, but you're not. You're going to be in bondage. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be so confined. You think you're free, whether it's money or sex or drugs or power or possessions, whatever it is, it is going to get a hold of you and shackle you deeply. So it will leave you hungry. It will leave you in bondage and it will leave you lonely. Isolated, secluded, cut off. So it's the same message from the garden. It's the same message today. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. You could either trust him or you can trust yourself. You choose. But I can guarantee you if you trust yourself, it will fail. If you trust God, God wants to set you amazingly free. So Paul was so impassioned about his little children not being enslaved once again. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon. Grace that will cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, matchless, loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Now on Mount Calvary's mount outpoured, there was the blood of the lamb was spilt. Sin and despair, like sea waves cold, threatened to soil the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there, the flowing crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed, to all who believe. You who are longing to see Christ's face 
Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and grace that will cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all your sins. So, Father, I thank you. Father, there are many of us in this room, very honestly, that um, have been trying to do your work in our way, and we fail. We sit here and we feel imprisoned, we feel lonely, we feel hungry and empty. And Lord, for some reason, we keep thinking that we can save ourselves. We think, keep thinking that we can change ourselves. It was the lie in the Garden of Eden. It's the lie today. It's the lie of Paul's time. And Paul was so concerned about his, his family, his children, that they not miss it. Father, there are two children, one by a slave and one by a free. There are two covenants. The covenant of works that we have to do this perfectly, follow the law perfectly, and everything that we do, Father, that is impossible. And then there's the covenant of grace. The grace that God has poured out upon us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit then takes a believer and transforms that believer, Lord, to look more and more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that no one walks out of here this morning thinking that there is really two ways. There aren't. There's only one way to you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So for anyone that is here this morning, Father, who has never trusted in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe has listened to the wrong counselor and the counselor has gotten their thoughts and their mind and their hearts and their lives. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would bend their knee to trust your son and your son alone for their salvation. For the many believers that are here this morning, Father, I pray that the gospel is not boring to them. I pray that they would hear the gospel message as this beautiful message of a loving story from a father to his children. And Lord, help us to hear that gospel message today. Help us to glory in your son who purchased it for us and help us to be filled by your spirit who is the pledge of it. And help us to go out to a world who desperately needs to hear this message and help us to share it with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.